On this episode of the Advanced Foundations Podcast, Love, Identity, and Purpose will invite you on a journey in discovering your unique identity. Welcome to Love, Identity, and Purpose Part 3. I am so excited to be able to share with you because I really believe that when we really hit the love of the Father, we discover our true identity as a child of God, and the purpose of which He created us is to represent Him on earth to, to be witnesses. I, I'm just saying, when we get this, uh, it's so important. So everything I share here, sharing because these are things that impacted my life, and I just believe it's so very, very important. We've talked about having a sure foundation. Obviously, Jesus is the foundation, but having a sure foundation knowing the love of the Father and our identity in Christ and recognizing Really, and then last week talked about, or last time we shared, talked about the power of the Spirit empowering us, which is what we need. So the foundation is Jesus, obviously. Love and identity were built up on that foundation, and the power of the Spirit empowers us to be able to do what He's created us to do. So we've covered those things. I hope you've enjoyed them. I hope you look at that. Now, what I want to do today. We want to just continue to look at the Father's love. It's easy for me to say, well, God loves you. And that we're very familiar with John 3.16. Uh, if you ever were in church in your life, you probably heard John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I can remember, even as a young child, remembering this verse, memorizing it, in probably some of my Sunday school classes. But this is a profound verse. It's not just a verse. It is profound. God so loved that he gave. What did he give? He gave the most treasured, most valuable, the most, the most precious gift that he had. He gave us his son. I mean, that's amazing. When you think about it, take time to think about that. He didn't just give us a gift. He didn't just give us something. Think about right now, what what would it be in your life? If you were to give away your, your greatest gift, what would it be? I mean, that's what he did. I mean, it's just amazing. And it's easy for us to say, oh, yeah, well, God loves the world. You know, he loves the whole world. No, he loves you. He loves you so much that he gave the most valuable thing that he had, the greatest gift that he had, he gave us his son, the Lord Jesus. That's amazing. And and I mean, the profoundness of that is just amazing. That's how much he loved us. Uh, And why why I keep going over this is because it is so important for us to recognize that we are are really loved by what what is true love. God is love. Uh, Romans 5.8. He said, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We have another verse here. So not only did God give us the greatest gift that he had, most valuable thing he possibly had, he gave us himself, but he said that he did this while we were still sinners. See, we sometimes think if we could just get our act together, if we could just, you know, if I could do enough good and sort of clean myself up. He said, no, no, I, I knew the condition you were in. I love you, and I died for you while you were still a sinner. 
See, God's love is not an emotion. Uh, agape love is the word that's used. It's not, it's not an emotional love. It's a sacrifice. It's a laying your life down kind of love. That's what he's called us to. That's what he did. So he demonstrates his love to us. That's the kind of love that he wants. The truth is, if we'd have been there 2,000 years ago, we'd be the ones saying crucify him, crucify him. We'd be the ones that were, uh, were literally in agreement with them nailing him to the cross. But what the truth is, is that he knew all that and he loved us. He loved us. He loves us. He will always love us. And it's not just an emotional feeling, but it is, as he demonstrated, he laid his life down for us. That's what he's really called us to. Now, Romans 8, 32, it's a very interesting verse here. It said, nothing can separate us from his love. This is a question that is asked here. It says, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Well, that's an interesting verse. So Paul, again, in Romans here is saying, okay, let's just take a step back. If God didn't, didn't spare his son, but in fact delivered him up for us all, then how will he not with him freely give us all things? That's a question you need to ask. Think about that for just a moment. Saying that not, not did, did he, no one take Jesus, but he said, look, I, I, didn't, I didn't hold him back. I gave my son. I gave the greatest gift there was. If I didn't withhold the greatest gift, then why would I not give you everything else? So think about that. Would he hold his love back when he's already demonstrated a greater love? Would he hold back anything? You know, we, we sometimes think, well, you know, I don't know if I, you know, if God really loves me or qualifies. That's what the enemy is constantly trying to do because he knows that if we ever get really secure, experientially experiencing the love of God, it'll change your life. No matter what happens in life, if you know he loves you, you can stand in the storms of life because there's a, there's, that love never fails, it says in 1 Corinthians 13. Never fails. If love never fails, it's the greatest force, greatest power on the face of the earth. It's his love. Never fails. So nothing can separate us from this love. Now, that's amazing. So think about it again. Let's look at it from another perspective. Jesus said, no one takes my life. I lay it down, and I take it back up. But no one took his life. So we say, well, the Romans crucified him. Yeah, they were an instrument that were used, but no one took his life. He laid his life down for us. Isn't that amazing? So, I mean, it's just amazing love. Now, I want to continue reading in Romans 8 and 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Should tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, angels, principalities, powers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth nor any other created thing 
shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. Nothing. Nothing can separate us. I mean, wow. I mean, there is nothing created, nothing that will be created, nothing in heaven, nothing nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Now, let me say that. When I say that, here's the problem. We have to believe it. Because what he's saying is there's nothing on God's end he is not going to withhold his love. He's not going to go, okay, now you didn't, you didn't act right. I'm going to, boop, I'm going to pull it back. You know there's nothing. There's nothing that's going to happen. There's nothing that you will do. There's nothing that you can, can happen to you that's going to separate my love. My love is already poured out. I've already demonstrated my love to you. It's nothing can separate it. Now, the problem is, will we believe it? That's the key. Because nothing can separate us from his love. But if we don't receive it, you know, it's just it's just hard. It's like someone that you're wanting to love you, they don't receive it. Not much you can do. So he's, he's wanting us to receive his love. 1 John 4, 8 says that he does not love who does not know God, for God is love. God is love. God is not just a, he doesn't just love us. He is love. And again, as I said before, it's not just an emotional feeling. There's nothing wrong with having a, and experience and to know love that way. But his love is a sacrifice. He laid his life down. That's the kind of love he's called us to do. He he laid his life down. He wants us to know that love. And again, it's not, it's not um anti-emotional. He wants our emotions to be involved in it, but but it's a but it's a living laying your life down kind of act that he did. He demonstrated his love. First John 4, 9 through 10 says, in this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Now, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, again, I'm, I'm reading these scriptures because they're powerful. He, he's saying here, look, the love of God was manifested. It, beca- it became evident to us. Why? Because Jesus went to the cross and died for us. So it's not just a not just words. It's easy for me to say, oh, I love you. No, no, Jesus lived it out. It, it became real on that cross when he died for us. But he said, well, this is love. This is love. Not that you loved him first. It's that he loved you first. Isn't that amazing? He sent his son to pay the price, propitiation. This is out of the new Spirit-filled life Bible. Propitiation, a word that we don't use a whole lot of, it says the word describes Christ through his sacrificial death as appeasing the wrath of God on account of sin. The truth is God's angry with sin, and there is a penalty for sin. It's called death. Jesus took that penalty. He took the punishment, and he died our death. Every bit of it we owed, Jesus paid for it. That's love. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's the sacrifice, that the whole picture of the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. Every animal that was slain, every animal that was sacrificed, every one, every one of those, the bloodshed, was pointing to the ultimate Lamb of God, Jesus, the last sacrifice, paid with his life so we might have life. That's love. And that's what we're talking about here. It is complete love. He is he has loved us. 
Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, it said, God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when you were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Isn't that amazing? Now, again, it says that he has great love. Well, his love is great to begin with, but, he, but, he, but great love with which he loved us. He has great love with which he loves you. He loves me. I mean, wow. Isn't that amazing? His mercy is rich. He has loved us with his everlasting love. He loved us first and has given to us everything that we need. Wow. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord, for your amazing love. Thank you that it's not just words, but it's demonstrated in you, Lord, going to the cross and dying for us. Now, besides that, we're, we're completely accepted into this position of, of his grace and love. Remember in um, the Luke passage where it says, you're my beloved son and you am well pleased? You know, I thought about that a lot. And I'm telling you, that's exactly how he sees us. It's you, you are my beloved son or you're my beloved daughter. In you, I'm well pleased. Wow, we need to hear that. There's so many times that we don't feel that way. You know, if you only knew what I've done, or if you only knew what was done to me, or if you only know what is, mm, what I'm thinking or what I've done or I'm not doing right, everything the enemy wants to try to get us focused on what I'm either doing or not doing, instead of being being focused on what he did and has done. Now, that's a huge shift, because what we're saying here is that God loved you with a demonstrable life-giving love. He is love. And what the enemy wants you to do is focus on, oh, well, you didn't do this or you didn't do that or you should have done this or you should have done that, all this kind of stuff. No, he says, no, you, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. And you, I'm well pleased. Jesus hadn't done one thing. He hadn't performed a miracle. He hadn't done anything. He has simply been a faithful son to his earthly father and mother. So when we come to Christ, when we receive the gift of grace that we just read about in Ephesians, the, the saved by grace, it's a gift. You only get it by receiving it. You can't pay for it. If we could just receive that, the point is, is that he goes, hey, I'm well pleased. You're my beloved. Isn't that amazing? That, that is so hard for us to grasp because we're so performance-oriented and so want to prove that we're worthy of something. One of the biggest things we deal with is this whole issue of rejection. Uh, I've, rejection is, is horrible. You, 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 we inherit rejection from our family. We, we have a mindset of rejection. There literally is a demonic spirit of rejection. What rejection is is just the absence of real meaningful love. And... What it does is it causes me to feel that there's that I'm inadequate. Now that's that the whole shame syndrome and that whole deal is something faulty wrong with me. But the truth is, is that what, what rejection does is I don't feel worthy to really be accepted. Well, the truth is, is that I'm accepted because of what Jesus did, not based upon what I did. And so this is really important. Everything we're talking about here. We have a tendency to go, well, I'm not worthy. Um, you know, you're probably not. Not based on your worthiness. 
is based on his worthiness. Well, you know, I don't deserve his favor and all this stuff. Probably not. He chose to do that. I mean, it's like, well, you know, I don't know about all the things that are going on. It's not about you. It's about him. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to focus you on you instead of us getting focused on him. And so this rejection deal, it, what it does is it causes me to feel rejected, and it causes me to literally do things to get rejected. And so, the, again, the focus is on me. The good news is that Jesus was rejected. He was rejected by everybody. This is out of Isaiah 53, 3 through 5. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes were healed. So he was rejected. Now you think about this for just a moment. Everybody rejected Jesus. Family rejected him. Disciples all ran off. One denied him. One betrayed him. Uh, on the cross, even for that moment, that split second when he became sin, he, he says, why have you forsaken me, Father? I mean, you're talking about rejected. He was rejected. He was rejected to take our rejection so we could be accepted in the beloved. So that no longer do we have to live in that feeling of rejection because of sin, because Jesus paid for our sin. He paid with his life so we could be joined and reconciled to Father and no longer we're not rejected. So it's time for us to deal with this rejection junk Get it broken. Get it out of our lives. We're not rejected. And this is Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Uh, you can't get more than all. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, that's our true identity. We're in Him. And so in Christ, we have all, everything that we need. It says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before Him in love. Let me just make a comment there. We have a tendency to think, oh my gosh, i got to be holy and blameless before Him. I've got to act right and do everything just perfect. No, He said He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless. It's not about my performance, it's about his performance. What Jesus did at the cross was that he paid in full so that I could, I could have a clean slate. I, I've been forgiven completely. I have been, it, it, I have got, there's nothing of the old man, the old, whatever I did or what's been done to me, none of that's not on me. He chose me. And he said that, by the way, in love, he chose me. He predestined us to adoption as sons to himself. People say, well, I don't know if I've been predestined. Well, I'm not talking about predestination in that way. What I believe Jesus is saying here, the word of theme, is that God purposed in himself that if we would receive him, then we are adopted. If not, a, there's no, let's see how it works out. Let's, mm, let's check this thing out. Let's see how it works. No, he's saying, look, if you receive the gift of salvation, you're in. You're, you're adopted. You are in. You're a son or a daughter. I have predetermined it. I've determined that if you receive my gift, my offer, 
you're in, fully in. Well, you know, I don't always act right. Now, based on your acting, I don't always do everything I should do. Mm, not based on that either. Based on the character of God Almighty and the provision that he has made. And aren't you glad that it is? See, that's the whole issue of grace. I'm not talking about cheap salvation. It's costly. It costs Jesus his life. I'm not talking about live the way we want to live. I'm talking about understanding the fullness of what Jesus has done. That's what we want to focus on. Not focus on what I should do, could do, might do, should have done, couldn't have done, I shouldn't be doing. No, I want to be focused on what he has done so that he calls me up into that position that he has paid with his life for me to live in. Amen? He said that he, according to the good pleasure of his will, this is his desire. It was according to his love. It's according to his pleasure of his will. To the praise, the glory of his grace, which he has, past tense, made us accepted in the beloved. Isn't that amazing? We've been accepted. It's not based on my performance. It's not based on your performance. It's based on him. He just says, I chose you. Oh, by the way, you are my beloved, and you I'm well pleased. Isn't that amazing? That's what God is saying. Now, there's a prayer in Ephesians that I want us to look at, and then we're going to pray. God put these prayers in the Bible because, number one, he knows exactly what we need. So he put a prayer in there for us to pray because he knows we need it and he wants to answer it. So what he's done is that we need to recognize that the prayers are not just space filler. They're, they're divinely inspired for us to pray and to believe that the reason he said the things he said for us to pray is because that's exactly what he wants to do. He wants to. He wants you to verbalize what we need, what he knows we need, so he can answer it. And that's Ephesians chapter three, verse fourteen. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. Now again, it's all about praying to Father. Uh, he's saying that, look, the whole family gets to do this. It's according to his glory, strength of mind through his spirit, that Lord Jesus, did you dwell on our hearts through faith, that we'd be rooted and grounded in love. Now, again, if we're rooted and grounded in love, we're going to be able to have that love flowing through us. That's what he's saying. The sure foundation is Jesus Christ. He is the express image of the Father, and He is love personified. So if we're, if we're grounded in Him, knowing the love and identity, then we're going to be rooted and grounded in love. Love is going to flow through us to the world around us. That's what prayer is. And look at this. He goes on to say that we might be able to comprehend, and again, this is not just an intellectual awareness. This is revelation with all the saints. What is the width, length, depth, and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now again, what he's saying here is that he goes on to say, I want you to be rooted and grounded in love, but at the same time, I want you to understand that I want you to not just have a, a understanding in your mind. I want you to apprehend and experience the fullness of his love. So what is that love? 
Well, think about it like this. The width and the length and the depth and the height. That's a cross. So we say, look, I've demonstrated my love to you. It's a cross. That cross, I pay, I gave my life. No one took my life. Jesus said, I laid my life down. I laid it down as a demonstration of how much I love you. And that's why you need to personalize this yourself. He wants us to know the the never-ending love. There's no end to the width. There's no end to the length. There's no end to the depth or the height of his love. There's no end to it. And this is the prayer. Not just have intellectual understanding, but it would bypass, passes knowledge. It passes knowledge. Now, we need to understand it intellectually, but it passes knowledge that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. I had somebody tell me one time, say, can you imagine being filled with the fullness of God? Well, we just explode. Um, but that's what the prayer is. And now to him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above what we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. What is that? It's the Holy Spirit. So what is prayer? He's saying, I want you to pray this because this is what I want to, I want to do this in you. I want you to be so filled with me so that you represent me. I want you to be so filled with my love that no matter what storm of life comes, you're absolutely rooted and grounded in love so that nothing can separate you from the love of God so that you won't separate yourself because he isn't separated. He is never going to separate himself. So it's the love of God that is unchangeable. It is never, ever going to fade away. He wants us to know him and to know his love. So let me pray for you. Father, we are so grateful and thankful for your amazing love for us. Love that was not just talk, not just some emotion, but love that was demonstrated. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you gave your life, that you went to the cross, you took our sin, took our punishment, took all of our shame, took our rejection, took everything that was negative, and by your stripes, we were healed, spirit, soul, and body. You demonstrated love, not just some words, but by laying your life down. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to have, as we just got through reading that prayer, we'd have revelation of the width and the length and the depth and the height of your love, a love that passes knowledge. We're asking you, Holy Spirit, to cause the love of Father, the love that has been so lived out and demonstrated, cause it to be real in our lives. We're asking that today, that no longer would it just be some information in our head, but we'd experience it in our heart and our total being. We want to be rooted and grounded in love. We want to walk in the fullness of completely embracing that we've been accepted in the beloved. You chose us for such a time as this. So Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that the power of rejection would be broken, shattered, and destroyed, and that we'd receive the truth that we are your beloved, and you are well pleased in us. So Lord, we love you and bless you. We thank you for your amazing love. Help us, Lord, to really fully grasp your amazing love. We love you and bless you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
We hope you enjoyed this timely message. Pastor Terry and Susan Moore had a life-changing encounter with the Lord in August of 1982. They opened their home to a Bible study, which turned into a church now located in Carrollton, Texas. They have never been the same and hope that you encounter Christ in a real way. For more, connect to jterrymore.org.